podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro, podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I am Trev Downey and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Brighton nil Liverpool 2 in the Premier League from the Amex Stadium are Dave Hendrick and Jim Boardman. Dave, you'd say that's a game that had everything really, you know, lots of uh, sort of interesting um, moments uh, moments of outrage, but the, the the main thing really, the takeaway for me for the whole for the from the whole afternoon, is just how constantly upset our man Cucurella was, uh, and the Brighton fans were because they just seemed to believe that every single decision should go their way and that they were being absolutely defrauded uh, by Mike Dean. Uh, I, I, I've never seen such combined outrage uh, and indignance uh, from, a, from, a, from a, a set of fans in my life. Now, granted, we will have to talk a little bit about Dino later on, uh, but um, it was a strange sort of feature uh, of an otherwise, I think, perfunctory enough outing for the Reds. Yeah, I mean... All very straightforward, really, for Liverpool. Um, you know, a nice 2-0 win where there's not really much danger from the opponent. They had a couple of late chances, but only one of them was troubling to Alisson. We controlled most of the game. They had a, a little bit of a spell early. We get the goal. And then they start crying about anything and everything. And what's amazing is... They don't take a second to realise they've still got 11 players on the pitch when they shouldn't have 11 players on the pitch because Bob Sanchez should have been sent off for the challenge on Diaz. And to then cry and moan about what I thought was largely a fairly competent refereeing performance I just don't get it. I don't get Brighton fans today. You don't really have any grounds to whinge and moan about. You just didn't really put it up to us at all. Once we got the goal, you just sort of went into your shell and allowed us to play the game at our pace, control the game at our pace. We had the more threatening opportunities. There couldn't be any arguments against the penalty. So I I don't really understand. It was very gammon-esque. So to amuse myself, because of the gammon nature of the um, the Brighton fans, I started to rename some of their players to more <laughs> wholesome British names. So, like Robert Sanchez, Bob Sanchez, Tariq Lamptey is Tony Lamptey, Joel Beltman is just Joe, Lewis Dunk is fine, Mark Cucurella, Mark is fine, Stephen Alzate, that's fine, Eve Basuma is, of course, Ian Basuma, Solly March is fine. <laughs> 
Alexis McAllister is Alec McAllister. The guy is ginger. Why is he pretending he's not Scottish? Why is there such a big gap between the Mac and the Alistair on his shirt as well? Yes, it, it's it's not that's the thing. It's not McAllister. It's Mac Allister. It's it's I I don't know. It's bizarre. And he, you know, and his brother Jim Allister or something. <laughs> that's it exactly. <laughs> and uh, and Neil Mopay is fine, except that we're not having any of that fancy A bullshit. It's N E I L son. And that's what it'll be from now on. And if we go through the bench, it's Ian Wepu, not Pascal Gross, Pascal Gross from Winetown, Adam Lallana, Jacob Boder, Danny Welbeck, Jason Steele, Shane Duffy, Thomas McGill and Mark Leonard. And, and even the two Marks, this thing is spelling it with a C, lads. It's a little bit London soft, boy. So I think we might have to swap them out for Ks. But very much in keeping with the Brighton fans today. And just on Alexis McAllister... His two brothers are called Francis and Kevin. Francis and Kevin. These are a family masquerading as Argentinians when we know they were born in Edinburgh. That's ridiculous. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, yeah. They are of Irish and Scottish descent, but their dad's <laughs> name is Carlos. <laughs> this is fucking great. Uh, of course, the only thing I would have to pull you up on there is the obvious uh, 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 first name change for uh, Cucurella is Sideshow Cucurella. Yeah. <laughs> it's magnificent hair, though, isn't it? Oh, like, it wow. genuinely is. And when he gets really angry and it it, it just starts to really take hold, it, it puts him in line as the potential no-context successor to Joel Matip <laughs> when the sad day comes that Joel moves on from yeah. the Premier League. A no-context Cucurella could be very funny. If you didn't know Especially, better, you'd think Cucurella, you saw a photo of him, you'd think he was some like one-hit wonder EDM act, wouldn't you, from, <laughs> from, from the 90s? <laughs> or, or the bass player from Whitesnake or something like that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what he is. He's very, very good, almost Evertonian-esque, at calling for handballs and looking outraged while doing it. Uh, that is for sure. Uh, Jim, I mean, you know, it is, it, like I say, it's an interesting afternoon. Uh, the game was a little bit flat at times, um, I think an awful lot of that might be what Dave was alluding to. They were a team that sort of looked beaten for a lot of the game or sort of looked like they didn't really have too many ideas how they were going to cope with us. I think it must have been quite disheartening because uh, their best efforts were often met with, uh, you know, sort of a perfunctory block by Joel Matip or being eased off the ball by Virgil or our fullbacks working very, very hard uh, or actually midfield tracking runs and things like that. So it wasn't an easy afternoon for them. And you've got poor old uh, uh, Graham Potter there, who's a highly rated man uh, in the game. Looks a little bit to me like a recently retired SAS uh, uh, officer, uh, just wondering what he's going to do with the rest of his life. And, you know, I think the takeaway for me, Jim, was that after, I, know, I, I think I was in the, in the minority of people who were cautiously or sorry a little bit worried about the 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 fact that we had lost that game in Anfield to Inter um I wasn't able to lean into the it, it look it was two halves and we we lost the second half and we won the first half so we go through I wasn't able for that I just I didn't want us to lose that Anfield record it's it's silly but these things matter and the worst thing in the world then would have been any sort of negative result here because that's the opposite of the kind of momentum that you want and I just love the way these lads are relentless, Jim. They just get the wins when we need them again and again and again. Yeah, and I think, you know, after that game the other day, I mean, I, I mean, I, I was more sort of glass half the other way. Um, my glass was f fairly full after that, yeah. after that aggregate win. 
but that would have taken a lot out of us. And you know that, although I think on the night, the main thing was we don't want to lose on aggregate. You can imagine it at two on an aggregate, how how much harder and how much more worried you're getting as fans, what what, what you're going to be like as a player. So that I think that took a lot out of us. And I feel like today was almost like, you know, lads, like this is like when you go in work on a Monday morning and you've had one of those weekends, when you've had one of those heavy weekends that even carried on onto Sunday night and you, you, you know, I'll turn up, I'll be here. I'll look like I'm here, but, you know, I'll just do the bare minimum. You know, I'll get away with it today. I'll not do nothing. I'll get, I'll do the bare minimum. And it almost felt like that's how Liverpool approached the game. It felt like we kind of invited them onto us a little bit to start with. Yeah. But in that kind of surety that we've got, without being arrogant, that on the whole, we're not bad at stopping teams when they do come at us. And, you know, let them do it. Let them sort of get their energy out of the way for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it takes. It wasn't even that long in the end. But that that's, that's the kind of a tactic I think we've done in the past where you... As a fan, you're worrying and thinking, what the hell's going on? We're letting him have a go at us. But none of the lads look phased by it. I mean, I mean, Virgil van Dijk generally does look calm, doesn't he? But as the song says, but we do look calm and we do seem to let them let them come at us. And I think maybe what people have been saying about Brighton as well is their biggest problem is they've drawn a lot of games, which was a worry for me today. Maybe this would be another draw for them that they'd have been made up with. But one of the worries has been... They're not that great in the final third, and maybe those draws are down to them not taking chances when they get them. In the end, I don't think we, we gave them that many chances, and I think the frustrations they've got, I mean, by all means, aim them at the ref, if that makes you feel better. But to be honest with you, you can do that for the next three, four, five seasons, and you're not going to get any better if that's where you're aiming your frustrations, because basically, the reason you're drawing a lot of games is because of how you're, how you're finishing, is how you're not you know, getting those goals in, not making those chances, clear-cut chances, you know, I do think Liverpool were more relaxed today. The fact that they got so few chances is is perhaps more to Brighton, more to Brighton's detriment than to Liverpool's uh, praise, if you like. And yeah, if you're a Brighton fan, there'll be plenty of times to moan at referees, but really, I think sometimes you need to look closer to home. You know, I think Jurgen leaned into this, a similar sentiment with regards to our performance. Um I always get a bit nervous when he's been interviewed by that Des Kelly lad because they don't exactly have a great history and he's a bit of a he's he's thrown Daily a few, Mail's Des Kelly. <laughs> yeah, he's thrown a few haymakers at, at, at Jurgen in the past who rightly got annoyed with him. Um but it seems as if Jurgen's pretending all is well anyway. But he did echo a similar sentiment to what you were saying there like sometimes you just got to get through games was the gist of what he was saying there would be games where when you're on a run like this where you just you have to get through them. And I was really taken by the uh, thing that was mentioned. Uh, I I don't know, Dave, maybe maybe it was you who mentioned it, but I, I, or I read it somewhere uh, where Kloppo was talking about Pete Kraviet saying that the mo- one of the most important things in football is to uh, know which games to lose. Uh, yes. And, and, and that really came into... Uh, sort of firm uh, 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 sight there this afternoon because we got that kick in the arse, got that sort of, okay, we can't win every game out of the way and came and did the business in a nice, in a nice functional way this afternoon. And let's have a quick look at uh, the lineups before we we start the, the details of the match. And I do actually want to have a quick word uh, about the referee and the VAR thing and get that out of the way before uh, we get into the game itself so we can sort of breeze past it when it occurs. Um, we started a Liverpool lineup with what seems to be uh, very much uh, the manager's first choice defence. Uh, we had the uh, midfield unit of uh, Henderson, Fabinho and Nabi Keita. 
and Salah, Mane and Diaz, who again, I think seem to be his preferred three, regardless of fitness at the moment. And a very, uh, very pleasing uh, level of strength on the bench with Thiago there, Jimmy Milner, Firmino back from injury, Joey Gomez, uh, Curtis Jones, Diogo Jota, uh, Simicus, Kelleher, Harvey Elliott. I mean, you know, that does the heart good in and of itself. I don't know if there's a lot to be said about the lineup really for the Reds. If either, if you have anything you want to jump in on there around that, or we just sort of breeze past it. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. yeah my, my, my only thought was that Diaz came in and you think, who did he come in for? And to be honest, the last couple of games, I would have said he could, he could have come in for any of, any of the front three, you know, from last. Yeah. Not the last couple of games, sorry, from the last game. Um, I don't think the main front three have been great the last couple of games. So, um, you know, the fact there's four of them all together. I say the main front three, I'm, obviously Bobby's not involved. But you, you get what I'm saying. You know, I think, I think you know, Diaz deserved his start. And really, Klopp could have kind of dropped any of the others that he dropped. I think that's a fair point. And, you know, Mo Salah would have to hold his hand up and say that that's the way the form has been going. That, that's mm-hmm. going to be an interesting little uh, chat at some point today. Do you know what? Let's do it now because, again, it may not come up in the run of the thing. Can I just get an opinion from the two of you on this? Because it's the kind of thing that turns into Twitter sensation, uh, especially if the game hadn't gone our way. I think it would be the only thing people are talking about. As it is, I've, I've, I've seen hardly a mention of it. Um at one point, uh, you you'll you'll recall. I think it was pretty much uh, towards the the end of the first half. Uh, Mo is carrying the ball into the box from the left, uh, and he goes with a sort of effort at the near post, which is saved. He had men inside, uh, and Jurgen is fucking furious, shouting at him to pass the ball, uh, and. You, rarely we we actually got to see the reaction then the reaction uh, was bemused annoyance in the face of Salah saying to who um now this and, and Salah's right I'm sorry Salah's right well this, there's, right, there's one well, Liverpool player in the box it's Luis Diaz and there's three players between him and Salah so it was it was man inside rather than men inside okay and the yeah, Diaz so, to be fair when I when I watched the replay Dave I have to say just to weigh in on 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 the player side as well it wasn't a clear pass. There was no line no. of sight for a pass either. No, that's the thing. Like, especially off balance, that's a very, very difficult cutback pass to make. If Diaz... Ha- when Salah broke past Basuma... Molly's having a tantrum, sorry about that. When Salah <laughs> broke past Basuma, Diaz sort of held his run-up. And I think if he hadn't done that, if he'd fully committed to getting himself in the box earlier, ahead of the defenders, Salah might have slid it across to him earlier. But Diaz held his run, whether it was he didn't want to run offside or whatever it was, I don't know. But I don't think there's any blame there on Salah. And Klopp did the same thing. Look, if people, anyone wants to focus on it, Klopp did the same thing to Diaz in the second half when Thiago put him through. And in in defence of Diaz, he was clearly looking to get the pass to Jota, but he kind of stepped on the ball or got it caught under his feet and had that heavy touch that brought it towards the goalkeeper. Um, so, look, Klopp, Klopp wants more goals. Klopp wants to win every game. He wants to bury teams when we can. He doesn't want to leave any risk of falling behind. So you can understand it from Klopp's angle. But at the same time, Klopp can't see it the way we can with the benefit of the TV cameras or the way Salah can in real time, where he's got Yves Basuma, who's one of the better midfielders in the league, chomping at his heels. 
And he looks up and there's just yellow shirts and a dot of red behind them. There's no real obvious pass on for him. So in the end, he probably did the right thing in taking the shot. Now, in the end, it was a fairly weak, tame shot. But I think, look, there's been a lot of talk about Salah the last few days. And obviously part of it is his his agent, who, as we know, is a troll and wants to get a reaction, wants to spark a bit of controversy, putting up some laughing emojis after Klopp gave his press conference. People have decided to interpret them as him mocking Klopp. That's not necessarily what the case is. It may be. It may not be. Then you get the biggest spoofer in all of football, Fabrizio Romano, who's a shameless liar, whose entire career is built on lies, coming out with an exclusive on his YouTube channel, which you can watch and he'll draw ad revenue from. And people are saying, oh, well, it's clearly come from the agent because look at this tweet from January where the agent tweets Fabrizio. Are you people living in a fucking circus world? If, it's like, yeah. I if mean, Remy they, they, wants to get something out there, he will not leak it to Romano because he knows Romano's a clown. He will leak it through the Arab press and have it come out that way, which is what he's done before. Or he'll leak it to the French media where he's got contacts. He's not going to leak, leak it through Romano. And he's not going to leak the truth either. I think this is something people forget. If, if, if I was in a room with, let's just say, the Liverpool board or whoever, and Salah and his representatives, and I, and I was sitting there watching them discuss the next contract and listening to the figures being thrown about and the terms that, that they want putting in and they won't put in and all the rest of it, I, I would hear a version of I would hear my version of what was going on. Mm. I would see what I thought were the differences. I would see what I thought were the main sticking points, what were and, and what I thought were minor ones that could easily be sorted out if they do these big ones and so on and so forth. And then even if I was being as honest as I was in my interpretation, the chances are I wouldn't get it exactly right. Now, no one who leaks anything from those kind of talks is ever, ever going to be totally honest in their interpretation no. of what's being said. It's always going to be weighted to whatever suits it's them. It's always self-interest. Agents it's are the best athlete, aren't they? And people working with agents, you know, so. And here's the other thing. Here's how you know Romano's making it up as he goes along. Because he tries to tell you Liverpool's side of it as well. This is what Liverpool wants. He has no contact contacts at Liverpool. None. Liverpool don't leak anything to anybody bar Paul Joyce. He's the only one that ever gets anything major. Neil Jones will get certain things because he's got local contacts because he's a local lad. David Lynch will get certain things because he's a former staff member at Liverpool. But they don't get big news or anything like that. Joyce is the only one. When Joyce gets it, it's basically confirmation that something is done or about to be done. Mm -hmm. They don't leak anything. Nothing leaks out of Liverpool. And if Liverpool believed for a second that Rami, whatever his surname is, was the one leaking it to uh, to Romano, you can be guaranteed he'd have been getting a phone call today. And he'd, he'd have been put right back in his box. And the thing is, his only legitimate client is Salah. And the only reason he's got Salah is because they're friends. This is not some big-time agent. This is not Mina Riola. This is not George Mendes. This is not Pini Zihavia. This is a guy who is a small-time agent with one main client. And the only reason he has him is because Salah trusts him. Salah's not going to trust him if he's fucking about with his career at all. And for those that say, oh, well, look, 
Salah's dip in form started in mid-December when Fabrizio says the contract talks broke down. Bullshit. Salah tore Chelsea apart in early January. Then he went to the AFCON. And in the space of 26 days, he played seven games. In those seven games, he played, played every single minute. 90, 90, 90, 120, 120, 120, and 120. That's basically eight. If you count at a time, he played eight and a half games of football in 26 days. The guy's tired. That's why he's come back from AFCON not looking the same. He came back and demanded to play straight away. Klopp had to hold him back on the bench just to not burn him out. But he went, he came on against Leicester. He was only back in the country and he comes on against Leicester a couple of days later. That's not a guy who's at any sort of odds with the club, who's demanding to play straight after coming back. And then he's played 90, 90, 79 and 65 because Klopp's given him a bit of a rest. But he's relentless. He plays every game and wants to for this club. That's not the attitude or the mark of a fella who's unhappy or at odds with the club or has a bad relationship with Klopp or anything like that. People need to settle themselves down. Never, ever listen to anything that comes out of Romano's mouth and ignore the agent. All he wants is the likes and retweets and to to light a fire, to go away, to come back and laugh at what's happened. That's what he wants. Don't give him the fucking oxygen. And the thing is, when, Ma- when Mo Salah's running around the pitch, when Mo Salah's warming up, when Mo Salah's sat on in, in the in the dressing room at half-time listening to whatever Klopp's saying, Salah's not thinking, oh, but if I could just get another 50 grand a week. He's, there's none no. of that on his head. That's not on your mind. You don't think of that when you're playing. I've never played as a professional footballer, but I, I reckon I'm, I'm 99% certain that most players would be thinking about winning the game, scoring the goal, getting the form right, whatever whatever, exactly. whatever drives them, whatever got them into football in the first place is what's in your head when you're on the pitch. And no player plays every game of the season, one after the other, perfectly none. And that no. you can go back, Kenny Dalglish, Stephen Gerrard, John Barnes, Look, Lionel Suarez Messi, any of these players. The, Luis Suarez put together the best Premier League season I've ever seen in 13-14. And he had five or six bad games in that season like bad not just Mm -hmm. you know not at his best he had outright bad games in that season it happens to everybody like you said it happens to Messi it happened to Maradona in his prime it happens to them all everyone has a couple of bad games here and there when you play as often as Salah does and you get dragged and kicked as often as Salah does you're going to have the odd off game but this nonsense of you know the the new narrative on Twitter of oh he wants half a million a, a, a week How greedy can he be? Well, first of all, there's been absolutely no suggestion from anybody reliable that he wants anything close to that. In fact, that's been denied by both sides multiple times. Secondly, where was your energy when other players, we won't name them, but other players ran to the media because they weren't getting what they wanted in their contract talks? Well, let me just come in here because... If you ever wanted any validation in for your belief that 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 your online existence, your Twitter life, the Twitter itself is not the real world, then let me just give you this example before we go on to have a look at Brighton. Don't worry, folks, I haven't lost the run of myself here. <laughs> I, I just do want to get this in. So you may be familiar with the fact that I, I you may have seen one or two of them over, over the last couple of years. I, I just like to do these piss take uh, um, uh, tweets, uh, which are 
quotes attributed to Klopp around the day of, of press conferences. Because everybody's retweeting all the Klopp comments, really po-faced stuff, or a serious that Klopp says this, Klopp says that. So I do, and I take the piss. And yesterday I tweeted this uh, Klopp on Salah, and then in inverted comments, yeah, uh, all good. The boy will make his own decision. Uh, I'm more of a Subway guy, but if Mo wants the chicken and stuffing triple from Sainsbury's, then all good. That's the sandwich game. That's what I tweeted. Now, I swear to Christ, five or six people quote tweeted that and said things like, what a sensational comment from Klopp. What a brilliant analogy, said another one. Klopp is class, isn't he? Said another one. Uh, uh, several other people saying, well, uh, I wish he was a little bit more uh, worried when he was giving uh, contracts to overrated shite. And there, people believe that's true. So yeah, if, of course. if this is the world that you're in, then I'm Trev, sorry. what's the old statement? A lie gets halfway around the world before the truth is time to put its pants on. This is... This is the culture of social media. And this is why Romano has so many followers, because his entire career began with a lie. He published an interview on his Facebook page of a sit down with Wesley Schneider. Now, both Wesley Schneider and Inter Milan publicly asked him to remove that interview because it never happened. It never happened. He never sat with Wesley Schneider. He created the whole thing. That gained him 50,000 followers on Twitter in a week, right? Then he continued to tell lies, and he got more and more followers, as we see with a lot of the in the nose on Twitter. You see these guys who spoof endlessly and end up with 60,000, 70,000 followers. Romano basically did that to begin his quote-unquote career. And when you get to a certain number of followers, there's a weird thing where people start to take you seriously because, well, you've got loads of followers. So clearly you're reliable and worthwhile. And he his following then grew because more people, because people are sheep, more people followed because others were following. And then he got a little bit of legitimacy when one or two legitimate outlets got him involved for transfer deadline day four or five years ago. And of course, being seen connected to a legitimate media outlet gave him more gravitas. So he gained more followers. Then he lied some more. He spent the entire summer of 2020 telling utter lies about Jaden Sancho going to Manchester United, gained about a million and a half followers that summer alone because he knows what's smart. He knows what get, gets reactions. He knows what drives interest. So Salah drives interest. Manchester United, Liverpool, these big clubs and these big players, they drive interest. And people will follow to see what comes next. And all of it is built on lies. It's like the Nigel Farage. It's like, it's, he is the Nigel Farage of sports media is exactly what he is. Exactly. That's the, it's the, the Donald Trump, the Nigel Farage. It's their strategy of finding things that some people will be annoyed about. Talk like you're their saviour in some way. And, mm. you know, and lie, lie, lie. You know, take and even when you're not lying, you're not being honest. You know, you're sort of you're bending the truth. You you're dropping in, but yeah, I mean, it, it. I mean, you know what? It's our fault, and I say ours as a collective thing. It's our fault for believing them. It's our fault for not having the sense to say, "Whoa, hang on a minute. Let me let me just check this. Let me just have a think about this." Far too many people are just far too quick to believe the next thing they can latch onto, and exactly. and they feel great because they're part of this crowd, and you know, and there's probably people. 
I mean, there, there was a, remember the Liverpool website, Cop Talk, which used to go around spreading stuff, you know, mm. and people felt great because you could go and tell the mates that they were in the know God, about that something. that was a, a very you know. special website, that was. And it was carefully done so that by the time the in the know stuff turned out to be a load of bollocks, everyone had moved on to something else. Mm. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to know about Romano's insight at Liverpool, two days before we signed Luis Diaz, he was doing YouTube videos saying Liverpool have no interest in Luis Diaz. There's nothing between <laughs> Liverpool and Luis Diaz. The guy hasn't a fucking Scooby. He tried to claim he called the Canate thing. I went back and sent him the screenshots of all his tweets and all of David Ornstein's tweets. And all of his tweets were a day behind Ornstein. So all he does is rip people off. And loads of journalists have called him on this. But what happens is he then sends in all his hounds to fucking give them abuse. And yeah, that's the other thing. That's, that's it. Like, he's got a big, rabid following yeah. of children. It's, you know, it's, it's similar to... Like, Neymar is held up as this incredible player despite absolutely nothing to really back it up by a couple of years as the butler to the Batman and Robin of Suarez and Messi. Or Messi and Suarez, probably. <laughs> like, that's literally Neymar's career is two good years at Barca where he had Messi, Suarez, Iniesta and Busquets. Like, those boys can play some football. And if you're in the team with them, chances are you look okay. Like, you could put any of us in with them and we'd look okay because they'd make us. And yeah, Kincheski wouldn't have looked anywhere as bad in this team, would he? No, no Paul Kincheski <laughs> would have been a perfectly serviceable left-back in this Liverpool team. <laughs> I love the idea of Alfred Neymar. Let's get a look at... Uh... Brighton and Hove Albion's team today. Bob Sanchez there was in goal. They had Veltman, Dunk, Cucurella and Lamptey, Alzate, Bissouma, uh, Mac, Alistair, uh, Solly March, Mopay and Trossar. Um, Dave, you've had a look ahead uh, with uh, with Scouted to uh, pick out what you thought um, Brighton would look like and how you thought they'd line up. Just give us a feel for whether or not this was a very typical Brighton team and if there were any uh, eyebrows raised around selection. Because you look at their bench, um, Mwepu, we've seen him play. Pascal Gross has obviously been a uh, first-teamer. Uh, Lalana, poor, poor uh, fella that he is, he's just, uh, he, he, he seems to be just done. Uh, they, they had uh, Motor, Welbeck, Steele, Duffy McGill and Leonard. Um Around about the selection of that team, was there any 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 issues that uh, you you hadn't seen, or is that pretty much how you thought they would go? I thought Motor might start instead of Alzate because he's been a little bit better of late. But they wanted that more defensive ball winning presence, so it makes sense. Um, you know, the 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 front three: McAllister, Trossard, Mope kind of picked themselves. They're all very samey. They're all more second strikers or attacking midfielders than actual out-and-out nines. By the way, Neil Mopé, what a dickhead. What a dickhead. Did you see him doing the the crying thing towards Alisson after oh. he got his yellow card? Like, let's just let's just pause for a second, Neil. First of all, you don't know how to spell your own first name, so that's the first thing. <laughs> Secondly, Alisson's career highlights include winning a Champions League, a European Cup, and a Copa America with uh, Brazil. Yours include scoring 25 goals in the championship. So there's many, many levels to this shit, and you're many levels below Allison, who could probably buy your entire life with one week's wages. So shush on that and uh, just er, er, look, earn the, the right to say something to great players. He shoved Virgil 
yeah. in the second half as well. He's lucky Virgil didn't turn around and boot him into the stand. I will give him credit. Like, he is a good player. He is a, a bustly, busy type. He's got a good touch. He, he can dribble. He can pass. But, you know, you, you, you're gesturing at the best goalkeeper in the world while your team are 2-0 behind. That that kind of goes back to what I was saying about their fans blaming the referee for everything. You know, he, he's moaning at the goalkeeper when, you know, he should go away and look at his own self. What can he do? to turn that championship player into a Premier League player instead mm. of moaning at one of the best goalkeepers. Sorry, moaning at the best goalkeeper in the world. That's well, exactly if you, it. If you're talking about uh, levels, uh, we should, before we meet, move into the details of the match, because we will end up talking about the Brighton players obviously point in of the incidents in the game. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very fascinated by Tariq Lamptey, for example. I wouldn't mind talking about him at some point. But uh, speaking of levels, I mean, y- y- we have... Uh, the man in the middle today, Mr. Mike Dean, who is probably on just a certain level of his own. I don't know necessarily it's higher or lower than anybody else's, but it's off to the side. Mike is a is a is quite the showman, as we know. He Disco loves a dramatic Dean. gesture. He was say again, Jim. Disco Dean. Disco Dean. You know, uh, as I was looking at him today, I was thinking, you've you've both seen uh, New York traffic cops, right? You know the way they're really, they're really, really into the gestures. They give it the full, the full uh, uh, gamut of, uh, of 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 gestures and hand signals. Mike Dean really reminds me of a traffic cop, but probably in that village people traffic cop way as well. Because he does have, he does have a sort of flair to him. He needs uh, the white gloves. He needs the white gloves. He 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 would absolutely love some white gloves as well, like snooker snooker referee white gloves. I think that would look <laughs> perfect with him as well. You know, you see him there, uh, and that's all I can think of is traffic cop. Look at me, I am the center of attention, and he's got like a nice old kind of Pirelli Firestone around the middle there, Mike as well. I thought he was a lot trimmer than that, but no, he too is carrying quite a lot of timber. And imagine a, a, a traffic cop stood in the middle of New York, giving it the full go in the outfit we've just displayed, we've just been talking about, carrying that Pirelli around his middle. And meanwhile, there's an eight SUV collision happening over in the corner, but Mike doesn't see it. No, Mike is busy gesturing. And that kind of reminded me, you described the the the, the performance earlier on, Dave, as, you know, perfectly adequate or serviceable or something along those lines. Mm. But you would say the one glaring thing, uh, the reason why we're going to be talking about him in in sort of with with, with eyebrows raised, apart from all the usual nonsense that he goes along with a Mike Dean performance, is the fact that it's very easy to be angry with Stuart Little and VAR. But really, why is Mike Dean not immediately signalling for fucking uh, attempted murder by 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 Bob there in the goal? Why can't he see that? I understand, like, it, it was the, the responsibility was totally taken away from him by the television commentators who were saying, well, you know, you, you that's that's definitely a red, and you would think that VAR would have asked him to go to the monitor. Well, why can't he see that? It's Harold I, I assume it's because it does look a lot worse from behind Sanchez yeah, than it does from behind Diaz. Like it it kind from the angle behind when you see Diaz running onto the ball from behind Diaz, it does it looks like there's contact, but it looks like it's more of a brush. Whereas when you see it from behind Sanchez and you can see Diaz's face snap back and his kind of body crumble, you can see more of the contact. You can see the the 
more of the collision from that angle. So I, I think also the fact that the ball, like, and Jamie Carragher said this as well, because the ball went in, I think Dean's thought, well, the goal is the goal, and and that's that's that. Maybe he's made a, a real attempt at saving the ball or whatever. But yeah. I think it's I think it's Stuart Atwell or Stuart Little, as you call him, um, who's really to blame on this. But we know he's an incompetent fool anyway, both yeah. as a referee and a VAR. Stuart Atwell getting a big call wrong can surprise nobody because well, he gets every big call wrong because he's shit. Yeah, the only one that gets shot by a bad Stuart Atwell call is Chris Kavanagh, because Chris Kavanagh doesn't believe that people can get things wrong except him all the time. Uh, Jim, we should start with the details of the match, because we were quite a ways into the show at this stage without uh, getting started on the game. And to be fair to Brighton, they did start with um, a level of intensity that I suppose was to be expected. Um, <clears throat> anyone who was watching Inter Milan play against us will have seen the benefits of literally giving us no space to play in. And um, it seemed like they were trying to reproduce that. Uh, they had a decent opportunity for Mopay on four minutes. His shot, uh, he's running into a bit of space too. Uh, he should have done better. He, he could have picked a spot, but he pulls his shot narrowly wide of Ali's right post. And then a minute later, there was a pretty dangerous uh, Solly March cross, I think, into the ball and uh, into the box on five minutes. Uh, a Trossard shot followed that on seven minutes, but it's pretty much straight at Allison. Uh, it's eight minutes before we have uh, our first attempt, Trent onto Mo. Sadio's effort at point blank is deflected away for a corner, which nothing comes from. Uh, Nabi Keita gave the ball away pretty egregiously on 17 minutes. Uh, and they managed to break on the back of that, played through us. Um, but Ali got out to the ball first. And we should probably pause here because he's going to come into it again in a few key moments. But uh, even Klopp had to say, you know, we really do. Uh, we use Allison. We're really lucky to have that lad. The way he says, yeah, he's, he's great. We have him. We use him. Um, but that was him underplaying, you know, trying to downplay the fact that, you know, his interventions and in matches are huge. And just to finish then uh, on 19 minutes where we go one up, uh, Jim, uh, an incident we've already spoken about a little bit. It is Diaz. It's an absolutely beautifully shaped uh, cross by Joel uh, Matip, uh, Trent-like cross uh, into space. Diaz gets there ahead of the keeper with his head. It's a dangerous challenge to go into. To be fair, there's an awful lot of lads wouldn't go into it. Uh, Sanchez cleans him out of it completely. Like I say, it really did remind me of that uh, schumacher Baston thing from back in the day when uh, even I was a young person. Uh, it's, to me, a red card and a goal. VAR had a look at it for ages and they said, no, uh, I don't understand how that could be the case. So talk to me a little bit about that opening 20 minutes and maybe finish up with your take on the goal. Yeah, I think I think early on, like, as I said earlier on, I think I think Brighton came at us and we kind of let them a little bit. I mean, maybe that's that's not the right way of putting it, but I think maybe more is we weren't too worried. And maybe it is that thing that we tend to have someone who'll, who'll get the final block in. And if that final block doesn't work, we've got Alisson in the sticks to do the work for us when we need him. And he does, I mean, he, at times in games, he's got nothing to do. And then all of a sudden he's expected to be called up and he's, his focus, his concentration is, is special. I mean, he... he if you ever get to, you know, when you're at a game and watching a game and everything's going on elsewhere, you watch the keeper and he's not, he's not sort of bored. He's not looking elsewhere. He's, he's in that game. He's almost, 
you know, as, as he has done to good effect, you almost sort of think he wants to get get up there with him and join in the play. So he's he is alert and he is ready and he's and he's got the ability to kind of read whether whether it's time to get back into his goal or whether to come out and 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 you know and prevent things. And occasionally that kind of goes wrong, and then you need someone like Trent to come along and hook it off the line. But that's because you know that's still part of it that Allison kind of knows that if he does come out and it goes wrong, that you know maybe a defender will get back and defend. Saying all that, I mean, that to me felt like that was pretty much it from them. That first 20 minutes, there wasn't a lot to talk about after that. And we kept them at bay and we kept it, we, we kept it nil-nil. Um, I think I think one thing, one thing I did write down, I didn't write a lot of notes today, was just from Glenn Hoddle. And the, the reason I didn't write a lot of notes today was because of Glenn Hoddle. I decided I'd be just writing things he said all day. <laughs> but there's one bit, and I'm sure he said, great skill from Mopey going down in a dangerous position like it was the skill was as if he was saying it the skill was to actually get the foul in the dangerous position i mean this is after just a few minutes and he comes out with a lot of things also after the game just quickly steve mcmanham uh, apparently was saying that what's all this that's going on he'd never known that he didn't know that players warmed down after matches and he was like genuinely taken aback by it so i'm fine that really shook me up jim yeah <laughs> really shook me up i mean like this is the guy this guy is paid to talk about football for a living. So even if we believe the bullshit that he never warmed down after a game and that that's just started in recent years, he's been watching games professionally uh, as a pundit and he was acting as if, yeah, that's not for me. I don't know what all this warming down thing is about. Like, I was, I, I was, I was shocked. Like, what, what is he, what is he doing? He's making himself out to look like a complete clown, Jim. He is, he is. I mean, there's things you should just keep quiet, keep to yourself. You know, it's like, don't get me wrong, there'll be lots of stuff going on in football that I don't know about, and I look an idiot. Yeah, of course. Like, you don't know that. But I mean, that that was just one of the most stupid things I've heard. And I don't know. I don't know what's up with him. Mate, I'm, I'm going to break there's down. There's no for a way he didn't warm down during his career. I mean, there's just, there's no way at all. No. Like, he was at Liverpool in the 90s. Then he went to Real Madrid. He definitely did with Real. Like, they were definitely doing it, whatever about maybe not doing it in England in the 90s because we were a bit slow to catch up. And Wenger sort of brought in a lot of the more modern practices, including warming down, which he was notorious for. He used to make players who didn't play warm down for nearly a full 90 minutes just to get the energy out of them. So, yeah. like, it's just nonsense to, su- to suggest that he didn't know. He Steve McManaman's an idiot. And, he, and it's such a shame because... He was such a great player. He was yeah. such a great player. Like, he would be in my all-time Liverpool eleven of players I saw sort of start to finish at Liverpool. He would be in my eleven for that. And yet, in 25 years, the only memories I'm going to have as I get old and decrepit are that Steve McManus was a really shit commentator. Was he a good player? Well, I think so. He was pretty good, but he was a really yeah. shit commentator. It's and like the Back to the Future man. photo. Well, that's fading away like, now, isn't it? It's like Mark Lawrence. <laughs> Mark Lawrence, and most Liverpool fans know Mark Lawrence as a fucking buffoon. The guy's mm-hmm. one of the best centre-backs English football ever see, ever saw. And and most people's opinion of him is that idiot in the crap shirt making really bad jokes. And you know what? I, I have to say, having done, I think, four shows with Lawrence, he's actually a lovely fella. Yeah, and when you get him talking, he's a nice him, guy. He's you, a great player, but when people you ask him only sens- remember him as a fool. Yeah, that's it. And when you ask him sensible questions about football, or ask him to talk about the past, he's brilliant to talk to. Actually, mm. he's really, really good. When but he's then, relaxed, 
yeah, he seems to get, he seems to get a, I don't know, he just, he, he, he freezes up and, and puts on this persona, this prissy persona. And from what I've heard, McManaman's an absolute belter. Like, he's a great lad. Right. And he's, and he's great to sit and chat with. But for maybe, maybe it's stage fright, maybe it's nerves. It's that maybe thing, you know, sometimes. Having been doing this for 10 years, he, he still shits himself when the... Yeah. It's when you're in a room, isn't it? When you're in a room with other people and there's a bit of silence and you're the one that feels like I've got to fill the silence and you just feel like with some shite. You know, sometimes (laughs) you should just not say anything and put up in silence a little bit longer. That's that's what he's done. It's better to be assumed the fool than speak and confirm. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Um, But segueing back into the game, um, there was no foolery from, uh, from Diaz. And I think, I think for that goal, I think I, I think it may have been one of the previous roles I said about Diaz. What I like about him is he's got he's got strength, he's got skill, he's got power, he's got speed, he's got all of these attributes. You don't always get all of those attributes from from one player. They normally have some of them, in, you know, lots of them strong, you know, but never as many as he seems to have. And now he's just added bravery to that because, as you as you said, a lot of, a lot of lads wouldn't have gone for that. A lot of lads would have just flinched away from that, um, which in a way sort of adds more weight to the argument that that keeper should have gone because your keepers think coming at you like that will make them sort of shy out shy out the uh, the attempt. Then they're going to do it all the time, aren't they? Because nine times out of ten, maybe there wouldn't have been a red card because nine times out of ten, the player would have just sort of backed out of it, and and the goal wouldn't have happened, and the keeper gets what he wants. So. I think that's another, you know, another thing to add to the arguments for why it should have been a red. But he wasn't thinking of that. He was thinking, "This is going in the back of the net, and I'm going to score it." And he's just his attitude is amazing. I mean, even when he, you know, the, the the previous game when he got brought off, he had to go up on the other side, so he had to walk in front of the cop, and he just stopped every few yards to sort of applaud the cop whilst watching the game. It was like I'm watching the game, but I'm acknowledging you. I'm watching the game, but I'm acknowledging you. And it's just. He is, I mean, he's he's definitely, we, we talk about Salah and Mane and all the players that have been our heroes the last few years. He's got everything about him, says he's going to be one of those. And he's he's only played a handful of games for us and we're already talking like that about him. He's just, you know, this is how he started. How much better is he going to get? Yeah, he is. He is exactly what we would call in oh, this part of the world. The pass, the pass as well, by the way, we shouldn't, we shouldn't ignore that. I mean, he's not going to get... It was the pass that gave him the goal, wasn't it? Oh, so it's, it's just brilliant. Visionary stuff from it's, Joel. It's a trend pass. Like, it, it is, is a trend, trend pass. Yeah. yeah. Just on Diaz, in case I forget to mention, the thing that really impressed me today, like, he was dynamite with the ball. But how diligent is that kid in his defensive work? And how clever is he? Like, we've always talked about Mane and how much effort Mane puts into the defensive side of the game and off the ball. But with Diaz, it's like he's got an innate knack of knowing where to be and how to defend. Like, he squared up against Lamptey a couple of times, Lamptey in possession. Now, you guys will remember as a kid being thought to play as a fullback, you're always told, show the guy on your outside. The problem with someone like Lamptey is if you show him on your outside, you're not catching him. He's going to be gone and he's going to get into a dangerous position. So Diaz squared him and showed him infield onto his left foot, knowing that that left foot is only for standing on. And it's really, really intelligent stuff like that. Blocking off the ability to go on the outside, forcing him infield, knowing that a midfielder, in this case, Naby, is coming across to cover. So if he tries to go infield, he's getting hit with Naby. So every time Lamptey got up against Diaz, he just had to knock it backwards. And he yeah. chased back a couple of times. He chased Solly March at one point. And I'd say 
when the ball was played towards Marsh, uh, March, he probably had a 20-yard head start on Diaz. And he just about got it under control. And Diaz was on top of him. And he harassed him and harassed him and harassed him until Marsh gave the ball away. And that type of stuff, more than anything else, that type of stuff is what will keep him in the team. Because Klopp and you could see, that stuff. And you could see that from the very first uh, uh, introduction he had to the team. Mm. His first minutes on the, on the park, you could see that. And you, you, you blend that with the bravery, with the goal scoring, with the ball carrying it on, on, on 34 minutes. Ali uh, cleared the ball. Uh, it was a, a, a from the ground uh, long uh, clearance. Diaz took it in and, <laughs> and, and 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 moved away and got fouled. But the touch is just outrageous. It's Mo Salah uh, standard k- killing a ball that's dropping from a thousand miles up. And just the chunk of the game there in the middle of that first half, 24, 26, 28 minutes, there was a, a dangerous Trent free. There was a decent move ending with a, a ball from Trent to Robbo. Uh, Rob had a bit of a wild effort uh, a near post shot off target. 28 minutes, a decent move ended with a Henderson cross. We got a corner from it. Nothing arrived from that. And then there's a really good opportunity for Mo Salah. Uh, the ball broke from that corner, from that Henderson cross, uh, eventually broke to Mo at the edge of the box. And he has a bit of time to do much better with that he does with the shot, but he hits a shot well over. Uh, and that's followed up by a, a tame kind of a Sadio header from a Trent corner in 31 minutes. Um, there was a beautiful bit of skill actually on around the half hour, 32 minutes by Sadio Mane, kind of just a little bit of juggling, played the ball over his head, got away. And you're looking for him to finish with a flourish. But again, another tame shot. It was the game of the tame shots. Henderson had them, uh, Mo Salah had them, Sadio had them, uh, even Diaz had one at one time. Um, lovely flowing attacking play in 37 minutes, ended with a free in from the left. Uh, that whole thing ended with a, a trend half volley that was pretty wild. And it really does give the lie to listen to that, that uh, Brighton were, you know, any kind of much of a threat to us at all because we are dominating the play. We're putting together lovely football. 42 minutes, we broke. Uh, Mo carried it into the box from the left-hand side, uh, had his near post shot. That was the time that uh, Kloppo was getting a bit annoyed and he was uh, getting annoyed back. Diaz is pushing lads, standing up to them. Uh, like I said earlier, earlier on, he is what we call around here a hardy buck. To get that clatter he got and just get up and he was running around and, and celebrating with Kloppo within a couple of minutes. He is a tough, tough cookie. And at 47, Trent put the ball into Mo uh, on the touchline. And Mo had an opportunity to do better than he does is right at the death on 47 minutes. It's a really poor pullback with his right foot uh, when there are people there. And I was getting worried about Salah at that point and his performance, I'll have to say. Uh, I'm going to go into the second half now, unless there's anything you want to pick out of that. Uh, I'll just pause for a second. Anyone want to jump in? Was there anything there that you wanted to mention specifically in that, in that sequence? Not for take, me, I think, I think, yeah, I think you've covered it well. <laughs> okay, I'll take, I'll take that because I just do want to keep it moving because there is certainly more incident in the second half. And uh, Jim, just to, to 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 look at the first little bit of it with you, they make a change on forty five minutes and bring Adam Lalana into their mm-hmm. team. Um, the poor bastard's gone after uh, what was it about seven minutes? Uh, he obviously did something. Uh, it wasn't really clear what he did, but it it looked like some sort of hamstring or something like that. Um, 
immediately after uh, the the half begins, Trossard blazed the ball over after Mopé had handled the ball in the build-up. He did, did quite well, Mopé, and centred the ball to Trossard. Um, it was a wonderful opportunity um, for Trossard. A terrible shot, considering uh, the opportunity that he had. You would think, Jim, just to stop here for one sec, that if he had finished it and had gone into the goal, that they'd have gone to VAR, and you'd like to think VAR would have given the handball there, which did look quite deliberate and was quite obvious to see. Uh, but what I didn't like about it was it, it did open us up quite easily. It was just a matter of driving at us down that side and, and a centre and loads of space for Trossard. Yeah, I mean, he, he made a move for the ball. I mean, there's no... Even, you know, even the, the worst VAR, you know, when the Premier League's got the worst, all the worst VARs, but even the worst one wouldn't have said, you know, that that wouldn't have said that wasn't handball, wouldn't have ruled against it, would have said, you know, the goal can't stand. I, I think I think that goes without saying. But the, but the truth is that, as, as you said, if he was a sort of a couple of centimetres further over, he wouldn't have needed to handle it and the chance would have been there. And I think that that's, that's the thing that does worry me at times about Liverpool is that when this happens against Brighton, the chances are it's not going to be a goal. When, it, you know, when when we give the ball away, I mean, there's something we'll probably come to later in the, in the second half where we when we give the ball away when we nearly scored and they almost score from that. These these are the kind of things that that sometimes those those moments can go against you. And, and I think I'm not saying Liverpool are a lucky team because you make your own luck, but at times you do think, well, you know, maybe that could have gone another way. And there's still time for us to get back. But yeah, that that is a worry. And the thing is, if Brighton if Brighton can do that to us, you know for a fact that other teams are going to be analysed that to death and working out how they can make that happen against us yeah i mean he wouldn't he wouldn't have counted the var would have even Atwell would have struggled to say that was okay and that's if mike reed hadn't spotted it himself which he may have done so yeah it's sort of a moot point now it doesn't really matter now in some ways but i do hope that it's not just opposition teams who are analyzing that so i hope that i hope that klopp and the guys are looking at the video of this and looking what did we do wrong where can we stop this from happening who who lost concentration? What do we need to do to sort of have a backup to this from happen to stop this kind of thing from happening? But yeah, I mean, there's something about the quality of the team you're playing when they get chances like that 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 can be worrying. Now all I want to see is Mike Reed actually refereeing a match. That would be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Fra- Frank from EastEnders. Mike Reed, <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so uh, to to take the run up to the goal with you, Dave. Uh, that Trossard effort is what it is. Parole Alana has gone off. Pascal Gross comes on in 52 minutes. And then Eve Basuma gets into a strop uh, after he got uh, blown up for a high foot challenge. Of course, the fans, of course, were outraged. Cucurella's outraged. Basuma's outraged. He throws the ball away. He gets the first yellow card. We should pause at this point and remember that Bob Sanchez did not even get a yellow card for what was clearly a red card offence. Uh, so fair play to the officials again uh, on that one. There was a couple of chances on 56 minute mark. Mo has a shot as he's kind of trying to wriggle his way into the box. He takes a shot. It's deflected uh, very heavily, takes a, a, a run up and a spin down and hits the bar. Uh, and eventually makes its way out to Sadio, who kind of swivels on it, volleys it over the top. 57 minutes, there's a brilliant Diaz run uh, and a centre. Uh, Mo meets it, and he's coming uh, the way he loves to come, coming drifting in from the right. It's on his left foot, but he sort of drags his shot 
sort of hopelessly across the face of goal and wide. It's a wonderful opportunity again. Like uh, like I said, towards the end of the first half, I was starting starting to feel a bit antsy about the the guy's form and uh, mood and all the rest of it. That didn't help. Uh, Diaz was brilliant in the in the build up. Then a Basuma deliberate handball uh, on Sadio's uh, Sadio Mane volley uh, on sixty minutes leads to a penalty. Uh, people would say it might be harsh to give him a second yellow for that, especially in the context uh, of 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 you know the game as it was. I don't necessarily think it would be uh, deli- uh, too harsh. It was quite a deliberate action, but you know whatever it is, what it is. Anyway, Mo steps up. Buries the ball down the middle as the keeper goes to his left. Talk to me about that chunk of the game, Dave, and uh, maybe there might be one or two things that you wanted to pick up on. Yeah, I think the the Basuma thing is interesting. I, I thought the yellow card that he got was actually harsh. Now, I did notice when Naby went off, he put a bit of ice to the side of his head, but the camera angles that they showed after it, after the high foot, didn't show any kind of contact. Now, maybe it was just the angle they were looking at, but it, it did seem like a harsh yellow, and I wonder if that saved him the yellow on the penalty, because the it should have been a yellow on the penalty. There's no doubt. His arm is not in a natural position. He is trying to block the ball using his arm. The funny part of it is that shot is going to trouble the corner flag more yeah. than it's going to trouble the goalkeeper. Um, Diaz had looked really lively in this spell. Robbo started to really trouble them as well with his overlapping runs and just been a bit more of a pest. He's getting a bit more freedom. Lamptey was playing a bit more reserved. Obviously, they had sort of brought on Lalana for whatever reason that was. Like, it certainly wasn't going to impact the game. But then he goes off six minutes later. So all the halftime team talk is now out the window because you have to change again to bring on Pascal Gross or Pascal, uh, Pascal Gross. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, they they came out a little bit threatening in the first few minutes. Then Lalana gets hurt, and then there's sort of a, a lull in them. We start to look threatening. And like you said, there's that wonderful run from Diaz where he cuts it back, and he's cutting it for Sadio, but it's a little bit behind Sadio. And Mo, for whatever reason, decides to shoot first time. I, I think Mo was just desperate for a goal because there's no other reason to shoot first time there. You can take a touch. You could beat the man. And you could have a clear one-on-one with the keeper, but he, he doesn't do that. He snatches at it. Then there's that other one where Mo kind of scuffles through and, and hits the shot that loops off Dunk. That, I think, is where Mo got hurt. He said, according to Klopp, after the game, that when he was taking a shot, he got hit and his foot sort of overextended. So I assume it's that one. Um, but look, the the penalty was was blatant. There was no real way to argue against it and thankfully Salah stepped up and buried it and it made things very very much more comfortable for us because you know at 1-0 even with our defence a fluke goal can still happen with a team that are, are they are a good team to be fair Brighton they do play some good football they've got some very good players they can create something and we saw at Anfield like they, they are capable of fighting from behind Basuma had started to really look a bit more energetic, then he gets his yellow card and all of a sudden he he just has a bit of a nightmare, 10 minutes, and then he gets hooked off. But A yellow card for a high foot that wasn't as high as the one that didn't even get a yellow, but anyway. That's, that's, the, I, like, 
I just I didn't understand that yellow card. I I, I thought it was very very harsh. Um, I do really like him. I think he's a very good player. He's the type of player you could see playing for us in one of those number eight positions. He's got fight in him as well, hasn't he, to be fair? Yeah, he's, he's got the fight. He's got fight. The could Lamptey ever get to that level, do you think? Do either of you reckon Lamptey could get to that level of playing for a really top side? Definitely. The, the issue with Lamptey and Cucurella, who I, I rate highly as well, they're both wing backs. They're not really full backs. Defensively, they're not quite good enough or big enough to be full backs because Lamptey's 5'5. Five, five. If we'd been a bit more switched on, I think we would have looked to go the aerial route a bit more because Diaz is brilliant in the air. And if we could have got the ball into that inside right channel for Trent a few times, those angled balls for Diaz coming in back post that hit him and Mane used to do, we would have eaten them alive. But Lamptey could definitely play for a, a top club if he played, if they were playing a back three and wing back. So Spurs, for example, the only issue I have with Lamptey is I'd be terrified of his hamstrings. He had a hamstring injury that kept him out for almost a year. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that all that does is give me Michael Owen flashbacks. That's yeah. all that does. So I'd be a little bit worried about his injuries, but he is a very, very good player. Like, He's really good. Cucurella's really good. Lewis Dunk. I mean, imagine, what's the difference between Cucurella Lewis Dunk and in... Harry Maguire? Other, other than oh. other than Harry Maguire has better PR. Lewis Dunk's a better defender than him. So you know, Lewis Dunk could have played. He's probably past the point where he'll bring big money because he's. I think he's thirty now. But he could have played. Basuma could definitely do it. I think Tross, um, Trossard's capable of playing. Maybe not for a top club, but certainly for like a West Ham or a Leicester. McAllister, I think, could play for one of those type of clubs as well, and Mopey the same. There's a Imagine, lot of good players in that Brighton team. I think I think one thing about Dunk is that he stayed loyal as well, hasn't he? Which is, yeah. you know, I mean, not every player who stays loyal is a great player. I'm thinking of you, Matt Letizia, but that's more about what you did after you stopped playing. But yeah, the, um, yeah, Dunk, you know, he stayed loyal to his club, and and you know, and he's he's gonna he's gonna basically stay in that team much longer than maybe he would have done if he had have had one of those moves a couple of years back because, you know, he would have got too old to, to play at the top level. Whereas um, I think Harry Maguire was born too old to play at the top level, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just been so bad. And Cucurella, I think, regardless of what he plays, like I would say, I bet he'd be amazing in the dressing room after you've just won a cup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's your cost of Simicus. Vibes. Vibes. Yeah, all about the vibes. Vibes. Uh, the, let's take a run through the events and afterwards, like, like we said, Mo was on the deck for a while uh, on 63 minutes and went off, we bring on Thiago and Jota for Naby and himself and, uh, Dave, you seem to think you, that, 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 that it's not too serious what, what did you say again around the injury the Mo so, injury? Klopp, well, this is what Klopp said he said, God, where is it uh, this is from Paul Gorst um, we will see. He thinks he thinks it's not serious when he hit the ball and it got blocked. So that's why I assume it's that that one chance where the the block came in, the ball looped onto the crossbar. Um, it got blocked, and he, I think the foot got slightly overstretched. Okay, okay, right. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be anything serious. But obviously, we've got a big game coming up in midweek, and we're going to have to hope that. He's okay, but Mo's a machine. I mean, what's he missed through injury? Four games in five years? It's going to take a lot more than a little bit of a fun injury to stop him. What I was thinking before as well, 
I mean, with Adam Lallana, they okay, they're not they're not at the same level of player. But what Adam Lallana did for us when he did it right was great. And his biggest problem was he couldn't play more than sixty minutes a lot of the time. He couldn't play two games in a row a lot of the time. Those injuries were were what stopped him developing, I think, into an even better player. Because whatever he came to Liverpool like, most players who come to Liverpool in the last few years, at least, have, have, have become much better once they've worked with Klopp and his team. It's a shame with Lallana that he had so many injuries. You can see, by the way, people went to him, how Klopp went to him afterwards, how well yeah, yeah, guarded yeah, yeah. he is at the club. But, yeah. but that's the thing, he's, he's a player, sadly, one of those, like Michael Owen was in a way, that, that has those injuries and that starts to affect the game and they're just you can't rely on them in the same way anymore. Sadly, Oxlade-Chamberlain might be, might be sort of... You know, I think his injury didn't do him any favours, clearly. But, yeah, with Salah, regardless of how good the player is, when you've got a player who keeps as fit as he generally does touch wood, then you've got you've got a, you've got got a quality that you sort of can't buy. You know, that to, for players to keep the fitness like that is, is special. And, um, yeah. you know, you can't underestimate the importance of that. That strength and robustness, the, 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 uh, the, the, the you know, we, we saw it with our Uruguayan uh striker you see in someone like Messi as well that's just always available it's it's a real thing uh it's a really really important quality uh they do bring on Welbeck for Basuma on 65 and there were a couple of little incidents Heno carries the ball has a bit of a tame shot on 72 minutes uh the first uh, another yellow McAllister this time is late on Jota who was breaking uh 80 minutes Mo Payne leave, left a bit on Ali pretty nasty little deliberate uh, uh late tackle as Ali's clearing the ball 82 minutes we were breaking uh, <laughs> it's there's like 87 million options for Jordan Henderson who drives the ball into a, the only space where no red player was his, his inability to do anything on the run is genuinely staggering <laughs> with a bit of, with a bit of time on the run yeah if he's under pressure he, he tends to be better but anyway 83 minutes a decent move ended with a robo pulled back but it missed everybody 84 there's a deep cross headed across goal by Sully March uh, Virgil pull it behind for a corner. Uh, Fabinho picks up a yellow. Uh, Miller comes on for Henderson on 85. Uh, there's a Trossard cross uh, on, on 88 minutes. And Ali is absolutely outrageously good. A, a, a reaction save par excellence to tip it over the bar from well back. Uh, point blank. It's unreal goalkeeping. Just, just a bit. A lad at the peak of his powers. 89 minutes, we had a break ourselves. Beautiful Thiago pass to Diaz, who got in, was ahead of the defender, but just oddly for him, just couldn't seem to sort his feet out. And it kind of got away from him. The keeper got out, smothered it. They added five minutes, and we had another little alley show. Uh, 91 minutes, he was very, very good. Quick off his line to anticipate a dangerous ball into the box. Then he threw it straight out of play. Classic Ali, right? Uh, then they break, and Ali saves brilliantly as near post uh, as Sonny March is raining in from the left. And then he came out and claimed the corner. It was basically the Ali show there towards the end. And th- another thing that I just wanted to mention, there was a, a really good block by Joel Matip, and then a follow-up headed clearance by Joel on 94 minutes. And that was one of the features of the game for me, was how quietly efficient Joel Matip was. He got in a lot of blocks, 
Uh, and I thought he'd had he'd been having a slightly ropey spell, Dave. Uh, you know, where he, 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 there was a, a little question mark against his his, his form. I, I was really impressed with him today. I thought he just looked really steady, uh, which is what you want from a defender more than anything else. Plus, he was doing his raiding uh, into the opponent's half too. So, a really good all-around display by by uh, Joel. I thought. Bizarre is that he won Player of the Month for February, despite that, that is weird. Not been anywhere close to the best player in the Liverpool team. It was probably the worst month he's had all season. Yeah, but he scored against Leeds, so maybe that's why. I, I don't know. I don't know why he got it, but I'm not gonna not gonna criticize him for taking it. He should be delighted. He's the first centre back since Virgil in 2018 to win it. Only the second, I think, since 2013. I think uh, Vertonghen won it back then. So. Look, credit to him, and he was he was excellent today. Um, I thought probably in our top three best players, I thought Diaz Nabi when he was on the pitch was excellent. Bar one sloppy pass in the in the first half, I thought Nabi was excellent. I thought Matip was excellent with his his passing, his ball carrying. He was really causing them fits in the first half, carrying the ball deep into their territory putting Trent into, into good position, putting Mo into good position. And that was the full Joel Matip experience. We didn't get a full tantrum. We did have one where Henderson blocked a cross and it was ruled then to be offside and he turned around and did a bit of a gesture but didn't fully commit to it. So we didn't get the full Joel Matip tantrum, which was a bit always a bit disappointing. I think that, um, that that's the same thing as I was saying before, though. This was like that Monday morning after a heavy weekend. Yeah, he, he couldn't do full tantrum today. <laughs> Realised there was so no real need to to fully throw <laughs> the arms up. Yeah. Just one thing on Danny Welbeck. Um, Peter Drury's normally a very good commentator, but his his pro English bias was on full effect today on the coverage I was watching. When Danny Welbeck came on, he told us that Danny Welbeck does goals. That's what Danny Welbeck does. Danny Welbeck has scored 81 goals in 364 career appearances. He's never scored more than nine in a Premier League season. This is a guy who played for United in in good United teams in the last couple of years of Ferguson. And then for Arsenal, when he had the likes of Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil, uh, creating chance for him. He never managed more than five in a league season. I think um, I think the commentator we got, which is the wonderful Fletch, yeah, he um, he 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 mentioned. I think that that Welbeck had played nineteen or twenty times against Liverpool and scored once. Yeah, do you know, you know what and, I mean? And some of those will have been against bad Liverpool. Brendan Rodgers. Danny Welbeck is a shit version oh. of Divock Origi. That's what he is. <laughs> He's a shit version of Divock Origi. And when he had that chance, Peter Drury thought that was the ideal time to tell us that that's what a top club striker does. Not score. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. Fair yeah. play, Pete. Yeah. Fair play. Fair play. I think, now in fairness, I will say, to defend Peter Drury, he was commentating with Efan Okoku, who is mindlessly boring and talks an immense amount of waffle. Like any time Drury let him have any sort of intro into the into the the, co- the commentary, he just droned on and on. And a bit like Jim said with McManaman earlier on, he'd finish what he was saying. Drury wouldn't come in straight away, so Akoku would fill the space with something <laughs> absolutely idiotic, <laughs> like that priest and father Ted. I was just thinking exactly that. <laughs> the most boring priest in Ireland. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it's quite it's a lot of competition for that spot too. Jim, let me get your closing thoughts and any plugs for what you've got coming up, and then Dave will be back to you to finish uh, the show in a second with yours. Uh, it, 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 on the whole, then as a whole, if if there's if there's uh, any takeaways and anything specific, if if you want to lean into a, t- a topic or something that I didn't cover, please do that, and then do finish by letting folks know uh, where they can hear you soon. Yeah, I think I think um, just just quickly, I think I think the ref. If we're doing a ref watch from our point of view, we're, I know we're biased, but I don't think he had too bad a game by by his standards. I think I think the way he he, he plays the game, he is the centre of attention, and it's not that he makes decisions that are biased. He just makes centre of attention kind of decisions usually. But I don't think he really got much wrong today. Other than, yeah, they should have had a player sent off. What I'm getting at is Brighton shouldn't be feeling aggrieved from from what the referees done. And as I said at the beginning, they they need to look at themselves. I think if Liverpool are going to look at themselves, they need to look at this and think, you know what, it was two 0 We didn't have to step out of second gear probably in this game, but you know, just have a look at those moments where they had chances that might have been taken by better players, and make sure that we we just start to plug those holes when we do start to play against or before we start to play against those better players. I think you look at things like, I mean, we just mentioned Lallana and his injury problems and and stuff. And I think Matic's a player that if he hadn't had his injury problems, imagine how good it would have been to have had him the past few years. But maybe the the good side of that is that maybe we wouldn't have gone out and bought Virgil van Dijk. So it kind of worked out in the end, didn't it? So I'm I'm quite pleased with that. I think, yeah, we got three points. We got 2-0. So that the goal difference helps on along a little bit, I think. You know, that if, if you're going to be critical of today, maybe we could have done with making that not a 2-0, but making that a 4 or a 5-0. But I would rather have a 2-0 than a 1-1, which maybe, maybe today, if we'd have gone out for a 5-0, we'd have ended up with a 1-1. So um, I'm, I've nothing to complain about. I think the fact we've not talked about, about the match a lot says a lot about it, that the match itself, we did the job, we did what was needed, we did the bare minimum maybe, but we got the job done, we got the three points, we closed the gap. So... Okay, City can play a game and get their get give us our game in hand back, but you know it just keeps that bit of pressure on them. A draw today would have won the league for them. I would have, I would think by now. I think the sort of psychological difference that would have made would have been massive. So we've got to keep winning. Um, I think one other thing is that you know this side show of Mo Salah, we need to kind of wind our necks in about it a, bit, a little bit. There's nothing that we can say on social media, no matter how angry we get, that's going to be read by anyone in the Liverpool hierarchy and make them go, quick, get on the phone to John Henry, let's change all our plans, we're doing it wrong. This guy this guy with, with all these followers on Twitter has just come up with the perfect answer to it. It's being done and whatever gets done will get done and we can react to that when it happens. I think something else though, something else that's crossed my mind this week is we, we see what's happening at Chelsea at long last that finally the Russian blood money is being finally, finally questioned, is that I think, and maybe I'm hoping for too much here, but there's a possibility that this could lead into other clubs with blood money being questioned about their finances. And in a lot of ways, what Chelsea did with all that money is what is is what kind of kicked off all the high prices in football, all the high transfer fees, certainly for the Premier League. So maybe, maybe things are going to be reset a little after this. Maybe not. Maybe more billionaires are going to come along. But, you know... Although I've just said that people on social media can't make a difference. If Mo Salah is listening to this, sign your contract because you never know, it might change. But I do think, you know, things are going to change in football soon. Maybe I think money's going to be looked at. Money's going to get tighter for everyone, the way the economy's changing because of this dickhead, this evil dickhead and what he's doing in Russia. It's it's going to have a massive knock-on effect on the world, which will inevitably lead to football. Football has survived a lot of economic issues in the world recently, but I don't think it can keep doing that. So... 
there we go. A little bit of misery from me. But I think the good thing is that as a club, we're in a great position if that does happen. We're very self-sufficient. We've managed to get through COVID and stuff like that and still look at us. We, we had all those hits to our finances and we still went and found Luis Diaz. That's that's the kind of club we are. And, and although the FSG out crew are sort of never off duty, I think, you know, they, they maybe need to sort of just have a bit of a holiday now. FSG are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but compared to what some teams have got, they're, they're pretty decent and perhaps you know we we don't give them as much credit as maybe we should but of course the main credit goes to the lads in front of us and and Jurgen Klopp who today did what he needed to do with his players and got got those three points out of them as far as me doing with with shows I've nothing planned but uh, I'm sure myself and Jay will have a scouse of Tommy's in the in the can soon as soon as we found something to talk about when I can think of loads of things now so that won't be long yeah well with with that uh more than half full glass of yours, Jim. I'm sure you'll be uh, you'll be uh, you'll be coming up on a topic very soon. Uh, thanks for that, and of course, do if you're uh, new to the show or if you haven't encountered uh, ourselves or Jim's work uh, in the past, make sure you get a listen to Scouser Tommy's uh, great chats there with himself and Jay all the time. Well worth your attention. And Dave, just uh, get your wrap up thoughts uh, to finish the show and, and, and a, a reminder of the 11 billion podcast you'll be doing next week um yeah loads of podcasts daily red every day at lunchtime two-footed every day at four sometimes 4 30 but normally four there'll be a couple of scouts during the week there'll be probably something else as well um as far as the game goes i think we we, we, we got through everything it was one of those sort of almost benitez era-esque two nils where we won. It was comfortable. We weren't at our best, but we were still comfortably the better team. We had a couple of standout performances. Uh, Joel, I think Ali, you could you could say Nabi and Diaz. I thought Sadio had a very good game as well, actually, which we didn't really get to during the game. But I thought a lot of his link play and dropping off was a lot better than it has been in recent games. So credit to him. If Mo refines the spark. That front three will cause everybody a lot of problems. Um, but just to close on what Jim was mentioning there about FSG and about Chelsea, there's been a lot of talk about who will buy Chelsea. And I can't see any situation in which the Premier League or indeed the British government who will have to oversee this sale will allow more blood money into the country, into the league. I think what we're going to see is an American owner the vast majority of the interested parties are American owners. American owners come in two forms. There's the John Henry and there's the Glazer family. Neither of them are good news for Chelsea. Now, John Henry, from a business point of view, is about the best owner you could possibly have for your football club. From a purely business point of view, he doesn't put money in, but he doesn't take money out. He insists that the club run self-sufficiently. He appoints really smart people into key positions and he tries to maximise every single area of gain he can. But the bottom line is that finances will dictate the approach of the club. So for a club like Liverpool, who make an absolute shit ton of money, we can compete because we make enough money to attract Klopp, attract the players we have and compete. For a club like Chelsea, who makes substantially less than us, 
a John Henry owner, while he would keep the club financially very well off, while he would ensure that there were smart people making smart decisions, that the club was healthy. John Henry's approach at Chelsea, where they only make about two-thirds of what we make, would mean a limit on what they can achieve. You're talking fourth to sixth most seasons, the odd cup, the odd Champions League appearance, Europa League most seasons, and maybe you can win that and get yourself into the Champions League, whatever. But that's what that would mean. The alternative, which is the majority of the people who have been linked to buying Chelsea, are more along the lines of the Glazers. And what they will do is they'll buy the club, they'll then remortgage the club, leverage that debt onto the club, have the club service that debt, take money out and dividends out every year, put no money in, not update any of the infrastructure. So if you look at the Glazers, they inherited a state-of-the-art Old Trafford, state-of-the-art training ground, state-of-the-art academy, all three of which are now massively outdated in comparison to their competitors, whereas Liverpool's have all gotten better. We've got a brand new training ground, that encompasses our academy as well. Anfield has been extended, is about to be further extended. It's been upgraded and modernised. So John Henry, a John Henry type, would likely do something similar at Stamford Bridge. A Glazers type won't. They'll go, well, what do you need a new stadium for? Haven't we got a new stadium? Which puts a cap on their matchday earnings. They're not nearly as big a club as they like to pretend they are, so they won't make the same kind of commercial deals that we make. And they won't be in the Champions League, so they won't be as attractive to commercial partners as we are. The Glazers also don't appoint smart people. They don't go for the best in class. What they go for is yes-men, sycophants, people from the inner circle, people who are unqualified to operate in key positions. Your Ed Woodwards, the current uh, chap, Arnold, Richard Arnold, is not very good at his job. Their football director, Neil Murtaugh, or is it Neil Murtaugh? Sutton Murtaugh. He is basically came in with David Moyes, failed with David Moyes, stuck around, kissed the right backsides and got a key position. Darren Fletcher is technical director with no experience and who, by the admission of the manager, no one knows what he does at the club on a day to day basis. I think the other thing as well, just just quickly what you were saying then, is that when when Manchester United go through a rough patch, and I hate to praise their fans, on the whole, they've got a massive fan base around the world who are pretty loyal to the club, and Mm. as much as they hate seeing what they're going through, a lot of them will still say, well, I'm still buying all three kits, I'm still going to go to all the games, I'm still going to throw my money in. Chelsea fans will lose interest. A lot of them are just new, new fans, and I know there's a lot of new fans who are just as good as the rest, but you know what I'm on about, the kind of fan who's like, it's just... As but soon there's as not, it stops being the glory a winning team, they'll, they'll go away. That's exactly it. There's the glory hunter factor. And they mm-hmm. will find that their fan base shrinks. Whereas United, excuse me, United's and Liverpool's will always continue to, to grow because people can mock it all they want, but history matters and profile matters. And there's generations upon generations of Liverpool fans and Man United fans and, and Arsenal fans all across the world. There are not that of Manchester City, of Chelsea. If those clubs didn't have the money, they would be back where they were. And if you look at Chelsea's history, the first 95 years of that club, they won, I believe, one league title, three FA Cups, two league cups and two Cup Winners Cups. They won a league in the 50s, uh, a couple of cups in the 70s and then absolutely nothing till the late 90s, where they did become relevant under Ken Bates. They won Couple, I think three domestic cups and a cup winners cup, and they finished third a couple of times. But they did that 
while spending themselves into oblivion. They were on the brink of going out of business before Roman came in. That is what Chelsea were. They were an upper mid-table team who oftentimes, they put it this way, between their last title win in 54 and Roman arriving 49 years later, they didn't have a real title challenge. Some of their fans say 98-99. That was a bit like our title challenge in 09, where we were in the mix and then United pulled away and we sort of kept tabs on them to the end, but never actually closed the gap. So it wasn't really a title race. It was more of a procession with another team following. They didn't have any title challenges in that 49 years. They did, however, have four relegations. That's what Chelsea have been historically. And unfortunately, that's more likely to be their future than another Roman or a city type owner or anything like that. But if they get a Glazers type owner, they won't go down. There won't be any risk of that. They'll spend money at times, but they're likely to finish somewhere in that 7th to 10th kind of range. They'll have the odd good season. They'll basically become something like a West Ham because that's the size of the club we're talking about here. Take away all the strip, all the bullshit that Roman's put in place, all the fake fans, boil it down to what they actually are, and they're more along the lines of a West Ham or a less successful Spurs than a Liverpool United or an Arsenal. And I think and anyone with, anyone with the future. money that it would take to buy Chelsea might be better looking at West Ham in all honesty. Of course because they would. You, you buy them at a lower price and you put that money you were going to spend on Chelsea into well, improving the club you've bought. And you've isn't got that why the Saudis bought Newcastle? Because uh-huh, they yeah. cost $300 million rather than $3 billion. Yeah. The same reason the the boys from Abu Dhabi bought City for $200 million rather than spending $2 billion on Man United, who they'd previously been linked with. Those kind of mega-rich... Uh, owners from the, the the Emirates states or the, or the Middle East, they want to come in, pump money into the club, bloat the value, and then probably eventually sell it at a massive profit. Whereas the likes of the Glazers and that, they're happy to have their asset. Now, the Glazers, obviously, United have struck gold. They're worth four or five billion now. But those type of owners coming to Chelsea will only ever be using that club as a means to an end. They won't make money on buying Chelsea. If you buy Chelsea for two billion, the likelihood of you making profit is very, very low. And you're also going to be expected at some point to do something with the stadium. And as I said, if it's a Glazers type and a lot of the ones linked, like Woody Johnson and that, that's what they're going to do. They're going to say, I'm not investing in the stadium. I'm going to leverage the debt onto the club. I'm going to use it as a vehicle to make me some extra money. And as long as they're stable and in mid-table, they're basically like the American Mike Ashley approach. Just be in the Premier League and that's fine. If we're in the Premier League, that's fine. We're making plenty of money and we'll sustain that. That's absolutely fine. Whereas, like I said, the other option is from America would be a John Henry type. But those are few and far between. And at Chelsea, that model is not succeeding because they're not a big enough club. So you've, you've, yeah. you've, kind of, you've kind of missed out on the 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 really obvious glaring one there, which is uh, <clears throat> if Rob McElhenney can own a club, then why not get Tom Cruise and the Scientology money in here uh, for Chelsea? That could be great. That's a project we, we could all enjoy imploding. <laughs> uh, we, sh- we should wrap it up. We've gone long. Uh, thanks to Dave. Thanks to Jim. Thanks to Guy for producing. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Trev Denny. We'll be back with you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. 
but there's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.